Greg, Maya, and Betty are not experts, nor do they claim to be. They're just a bunch of nerds who enjoy talking about movies, shows, and current events. So sit back, grab a coffee, relax, and enjoy a brand new episode of All Queued Up. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of All Queued Up, the review podcast tied to streaming services like Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO Max, Disney Plus, etc. I'm your host, Greg Dietz, and with me always is Maya Don Fisher and Betty Badger. How are you two doing today? Uh, I'm, I'm doing... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm doing good. Um, yeah, I'm awake. So <laughs> let's do this. How are you, Maya? I'm fantastic because I have some awesome news that I'll share here in just a moment. But uh, before we go there, Greg, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm just a little stressed out, you know, because of, you know, the day and whatnot. But um, I have hope. So, you know, we won't get into that. We won't talk about that because we need to talk about some fun stuff. But uh, what good news do you have, Meyer? I officially started hormone replacement therapy yesterday. Woo! Yay! Yeah, so I've had uh, doses yesterday and today, and I'm excited, uh, anticipating, you know, wondering what kind of changes, how perceptible I'm going to uh, notice, like, internally, and then, you know, of course, externally, there's obviously going to be changes and everything, and I'm just, I'm excited, and I'm just like, all right. I'm, I'm I'm waiting for the first like okay that's different kind of moment. Um but yeah, yeah, I'm really relieved and elated and happy and just never thought this day would get here, but I just wanted to share that. Welcome to the dark side. We have tissues and ice cream. Uh- <laughs> oh, I, that's fine. That's fine. I like cookies. Um, well, yeah, you can say, have your cookies with your ice cream too. It's, mm. like, it's like Michelle said; it'll be a, it'll be a second, uh, um, second basically puberty. a second puberty. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm curious, you know, as someone who has been through female puberty, and we don't really pay attention to it because we're kids, you know. I'm mm-hmm. I'm very curious to see how this is going to go for you, you know. I am as well. Has anyone given you any um, expectations? Well, I talked to Michelle about it yesterday. And, of course, I talked to the endocrinologist who prescribed me the hormones. And, you know, the endocrinologist was like, well, you're going to notice changes in uh, swelling in the breast tissue. And, you know, apparently the genitalia area is going to start shrinking very, very much, very, very rapidly. Uh, oh, that happens. Okay, cool. Uh, oh, it happens. Uh, yeah, Michelle was telling me how rapidly and how much. And I was like, wow. So in a month's time, it's going to be just con- incredibly different. Yeah. Um, but of course, you know, the only thing I'm nervous about is I don't want my boobs to get much bigger. <laughs> That's the only thing I'm worried about because they're already, I mean, healthy enough. <laughs> I feel okay. you on that one. Well, I'm happy for you, Maya. That's uh, 
it's definitely a goal I know you were attaining for, so, you know. Yeah. Good shit. Yeah. I, mean, I have had some weird, like, tingly kind of, like, half cramp, half rumblings in, like, my lower ab- abdominal region for the past 24 hours or so, and I don't know if that's just, like, butterflies or if that's actual internal working changes like well shit you know, getting rewired and i'm just gonna go ahead and give you this heads up your hormones will affect how your bowels work um that oh, is a okay. huge issue for women um one of the period signs that can be included with the hormonals changes in women is diarrhea I mean, we don't talk about that, but that is an actual thing. I mean, you know, that is so. Listen to your body. It might be tummy rumblings because, yeah, that is an issue that a lot of women have uh, right before their period. Their bowels loosen up. Oh, this was a completely different feeling from that. It was weird. I was going to say that uh, there was a there's a woman on uh, TikTok. She calls herself the uh, poop doctor. Huh. And um, what she does is she lets people know, like, "Hey, this isn't a this isn't actually an issue. Just just FYI, it's it's just your you know it's a normal thing." Uh, but um, she was talking about how like uh, women with uh, like there's a, there's there is a such thing as like uh, period poops. And yeah, they're not, they're not fun. No, they're not. And I think every woman who's you know who goes through that cycle, she knows exactly what we're talking about right now. <laughs> Um, all right, well let's uh let's get into Mandalorian, shall we? Yes, that oh. was uh before we get into season two, episode one, uh Betty watched all of season one. Um, so I want to get your opinion on season one, Betty. What'd you think of it? Well, I do I think that it's a good show. Um, it's not as Star Warsy as you know the franchise. Um I do like the fact that they make fun of the fact that stormtroopers are horrible shots. I love that. <laughs> I wasn't that. a stormtrooper wise ass. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Bird. That was probably one of my favorite highlights from, you know, just, I love that, that aspect of it. But also at the same time, why are some of them stormtroopers so fucking dirty? I mean, I've never oh, seen the, such dirty stormtroopers. Oh, the remnant troopers. Yeah. Yeah. Cause well, the, Empire doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, the, they're they're basically the remnant troopers, as they refer to them, with that uh, with the client who never was named, played by Werner Herzog, brilliantly. Um, they're kind of in hiding, you know. Navarro, where they were, where they were, um, you know, because it's the home of the bounty hunters guild, they kind of turned a blind eye to blind eye to imperial presence. But they're outlaws; they're on the run. You know, when you see them in the movies, they're all like, "Keep your armor pristine." You know, they always had to be parade ready, essentially, if they yeah. were in battle. So these guys, you know, there's no parades for them to be parade ready for. That's why they look so dingy and dirty. Yeah. yeah, I found that very interesting. One of the things that the franchise has always kind of prided itself on is being this look of, quote-unquote, the, the um, uh, used future. So everything is, it looks like 
like it's meant to be dingy and dirty, which is why I think that a lot of people don't really like scenes in, in some of the newer films where the everything is clean. Um, but, uh, that's a, that's a whatever situation. Uh, but yeah, the, um, a lot of, a lot of this show takes place, uh, what, five years after episode six? Five years after the uh, return of the Jedi movie. So the empire has fallen. Um, and I know you're not the strongest versed in Star Wars because uh, you've never been that big of a fan or a fan at all. Um, so I've always I've always interested in your perspective on the show because we did say it doesn't feel like the movies. And I think honestly, I mean, you know, Greg and I are both huge Star Wars fans. I think the best parts about the Star Wars universe are the things that aren't the movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, so, I like the Mandalorian. Um and baby Yoda's so cute. Yeah. So adorable. Cute. Look at that picture I put in their fucking uh Facebook chat when you get a chance. <laughs> yeah, um, I love the the little baby Yoda and all his little cool ass skills and I mean I'm very curious. I, I season two, the opening, I thought that was great. The first episode of that made me really excited. For what's coming, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, we, we'll get into yeah, that. When, but, you know, when we when we talk about like like the um, the the movies or the stuff around the movies being better, like there was a game that I played that um, is called Republic Commando, and uh, it takes mm-hmm. place it takes place like I want to say between uh, two and three, episode two and three, or like in the prequels. If you're going with prequels, it's the second and third movie of the prequels, but. Um, the story is about these uh, clone troopers that have to go on various missions. And the way the game plays out in the story for them is so much fun. Uh, apparently still totally canon, by the way, which is great. Um, but, uh, uh, like, have you ever seen uh, uh, Rogue One, Betty? No. I think oh, you would enjoy it. I think you would enjoy I it. I think you would really like it. Cuz again, it's it's not super Star Warsy. It doesn't like I love the idea of Jedi and Sith. But I love more Star Wars when it goes away from that. Um and this is the furthest you can get from that. But it's also the story about how like um you you've seen episode 4, 5 and 6, right? Uh, the first Star Wars movie ever, and then the two sequels. I saw, um, uh, yeah, I saw the. I've seen every episode between one and five. You know, okay. I, my my first husband was a big fan, so we actually stood in line overnight to get tickets to the midnight showing at Abingdon Cinema. Yeesh. Yeah, I fell asleep during the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it again, you know, and then, and then I watched um, episode two and no, I haven't seen episode three. That's the one I haven't seen because after episode two, I was like, no, nah, I'm just not digging this. Uh, well, to be fair, that is the considerably uh, that's considered widely as the worst movie in the franchise is episode two. Yeah. Our buddy, our buddy, Andy, that we play fall guys with, he, um, he, he has this long thing of like episode four, the first Star Wars movie ever is kind of bad, which I don't disagree with. 
Uh, but the other night he was like, I consider four to be the worst. And Maya and I were like, no, that belongs to two. That belongs to episode two by a fucking country mile. <laughs> and he was like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it uh, was bad enough to make me just completely go off the franchise. I have not watched a single movie since then. No, two is terrible. Um, but uh, that I being said. one was so- pretty terrible, too. So. <laughs> One had some good things in it, but there are a lot of bad. A lot of bad. Um, So Rogue One takes place right before Episode 4, or the first Star Wars movie ever, and it's about how the Rebels get the plans of the Death Star to blow it up. Um, And it, it involves an entirely, group of, entirely different group of people you've never met. And it is fucking wonderful. It's so good. It puts the wars in the Star Wars name. Yeah, it, it it's it's bleak, it's dark, uh, it's inspiring, uh, it, it's tragic. It's it's a wonderful movie, really is. It, I would put it in my top three. But this uh, is yeah, this is also more so kind of what what I think Maya and I have talked about constantly is that when you get away from the Skywalker saga, which is the one through nine, when you divorce yourself far enough from stuff that you can tell a, a, a different story. You get writers telling astounding fucking stories. I mean, there was a thing, there's a thing called the extended universe that unfortunately is no longer canon, but some of the stories that came out of that, some of those novels and comic books are, are incredible and have nothing to do with Jedi have nothing to do with the Skywalkers. So it's like the fact that you enjoy Mandalorian but not the movies so much is a is a testament to that. I feel. Yeah, yeah. I also think that this is one of the things that's done for a casual person to jump in and enjoy. That's just a hallmark of how well done it is. You're like, yeah. well, I'm not a Star Wars fan. And then you watch it, it's like, I really like that show. It wasn't like those movies. Well, yeah, that's the great thing. And it's so spaghetti western slash yeah. samurai. Um, it's, it's awesome in that regard. Um, I do have a question for you. So what were there any episodes of season one that you didn't really like? They can think of anything, mm-hmm. anything that stood out that you were like, meh, not for me. Uh, you know, well, no, not one particular episode. I mean, again, I still have my nitpickiness. With um, some of the the evolutionary works of uh, the Star Wars universe, but that's just a, I guess, a personal thing, you know. But no, there was no one particular episode that I found unappealing enough that I didn't want to continue watching because you know we blasted through them. I'm glad. Yeah, that's good. Uh, there was a there was one episode that was hotly contented contented. God damn, I can't say that word. Contended. Something. Contended. Um, and it was the uh, the one where he goes to that camp, uh, like the little uh, the little village, and he has to protect it from the marauders, and they have like a giant fucking um, at, uh, is it AT-AT or ATST? It was an ATST. It's a two-legged walker. AT-AT's a four Two-legged mech. Yeah. But you remember that episode, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was also directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, I loved that episode. Adored it, and that was the probably the episode that got the most hate. Really? Mm-hmm. 
It was essentially a, just a Star Wars retelling of the Seven Samurai. Yeah. Uh, the classic Kurosawa movie. I mean, it's it's a solid story. I mean, I rewatched it last week. Um, it's a solid story. It just out of all the episodes, I think the strong the season one I think was strongest in its first three episode arc and its final two episode arc. The other three standalone episodes, you know, had their strengths and weaknesses both, but they all propelled the story forward in their own way. Uh, but yeah, I, I like how season one was done and you know we're getting ready to talk about season two here soon any uh other anything stand out or anything you had questions about from season one um no not from season one um i thought i think the guy who does the mandalorian he's a great actor i love him oh yeah pedro pascal i love him I would love to have him read some of my audiobooks. <laughs> that would be amazing to fall asleep to. He has a very soothing voice. I really enjoyed it. I think the the child character is great. What they're doing yep. with this and yep. brilliant, brilliant addition. Yeah, I mean, you gotta love it. It's it's just so. It's very. I don't know. It just makes you want to hug something, you know. <laughs> Yeah, 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 really does. So one uh, of the things that they introduced in the f- seventh episode of The Mandalorian of season one, um, it came out the day before The Last Jedi, or no, I'm sorry, The Rise of Skywalker, the last Star Wars movie came out in uh, theaters in December last year. And one of the things they showed is, if you noticed in the f- second episode when the Mandalorian was wounded and the baby kept trying to get out of the uh, the pram, his little carriage that he was in, he was trying to reach up and touch him. The Mandalorian didn't know what he was doing. He was trying to force heal him. And when he does it to grief Karga, Carl, uh, uh, oh my God, I'm having a Greg moment. That what? Uh, you know, grief Karga, Carl uh, Weathers Carl, character. Carl Weathers, yeah. When, when he was when he was wounded and he he laid his hand on him essentially and repaired all that damage that was the first time that was ever shown on screen so it established something that was key in one of the in, in the last movie uh because a lot of you know how fanboys are oh, they're yeah. like oh they're changing things now it's never been like this before they can't do that now well you know if there's a precedence for it yeah they can uh, Real fanboys don't get upset. On a, on a on a small side note, I do have to tell you guys this because this is really funny to me, and it was just reminded me by Maya saying the word fanboys. So there's a movie. Um, I don't remember fanboys. It's called Fanboys, and it's awful. Um, uh, fuck you. It's not, dude. I, I it is not good. Uh, you can lock Podcast it all you want. Canceled. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, those that that guy that wrote that movie is writing a new movie um, starring uh, Ellen Page, and the plot is it is a comedy centered around um, an all women's esports team. And I went, oh, that doesn't sound too bad. I'd watch that. And then it went, um, and like, and their dealings with a with GamerGate. And I went, ah, oh, that's not good. <laughs> that's real bad. Why? No, don't do that. <laughs> I don't know if you guys yeah. heard it at all, but. Yeah, like don't like let like, Gamergate fucking die. What are you doing? <laughs> but uh, well, you know, 
thing no. is, should Gamergate die? Yes, but <clears throat> we need to make sure it's dead. You know, I, looking at it from the female perspective, yeah, I, I do wish this shit would go away, but let's make sure it, we're not just burying it to get rid of a problem. We're actually addressing the problem, and therefore we will not have the problem in the future. I suppose if the film, like, full-on makes fun of Gamergate and makes them look like absolute fucking fools, then that's a positive. Um, it's just like that headline I read, I was just like, this is... Like, even the girl that, that was targeted primarily because of Gamergate, uh, Zoe Quinn, she tweeted out, and she was like, fuck whoever wrote this movie. Oh, God. Yeah, she was pissed. I haven't seen it, so... Um, I just love the fact that you two are about to throw down over this. <laughs> <laughs> Fanboys was fun. Nope. Disagree. Well, you can just go through life being wrong with your macro penis. That's okay. I don't have a fucking micro penis. How dare you bring this into the fucking podcast? Because Andy told me you do. He does he hasn't seen my dick, so he wouldn't know. I don't know. I mean, he sounded pretty honest about it. So you... Carl Weathers plays Bruce Targa, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're just moving on here. <laughs> yeah, Carl Weathers, his character. He plays now, the, is it just the disgraced me? magistrate. Okay, is it just me, or is there very much a Lando vibe going on with him? Yeah, more or less. Yes and yes and no. He's like, like he a disgraced his great, great magistrate. Grandson. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. When but does he, this he take definitely, place in the Star Wars universe? Five years after Return of the Jedi. So, so let's say, yeah, so like would, Lando Lando's still technically alive during this. Yeah. Oh, is he? And yeah. maybe yeah. it's his cousin. <laughs> Could be. I mean they they maybe. I wouldn't but they like, definitely no, do have a little bit Jeff. of vibes. Yeah, I mentioned that to Jeff, and he's like, "Why? Well, I, I figured he was supposed to. And I'm like, well, maybe he is supposed to. You know, I'm like, maybe, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you guys. Did, do you guys feel like he was giving off a Lando vibe? I mean, Carl, Carl Weathers does in general give off a, a, uh, a um, I can't think of the guy's name that plays Lando for the fuck. Billy D. Williams. Gives off a Billy D. Williams selling Colt 45 vibe. So yeah. <laughs> well, they're both very charismatic. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know, that smoothness, I just think, you know, that they both have in their characters when they're trying to say uh grease some grease some palms or put somebody at ease. That's where their similarities come into play. Very much smoothness. a smooth talker. Yeah, that's yeah. you know, because again, very much how you know, Lando's character was written, you know, to be very charismatic and smooth, but, you know, dabbling in the dark areas. That's how I felt like um, this guy was, you know, I was like, are they related? They're definitely not related, but I totally see where you're getting that. I think my, my dad said that he asked me that same question when season one was around. He was like, is that his kid or something? I was like, I don't think they even know each other, but I could be wrong. You never know who, how, like how a character relate to another character, and they could totally bring in uh, Billy D for for Mandalorian for some episode or some shit. So that would they'd be awesome. To, they definitely have to de-age him a bit. 
Yeah, technology exists well enough. Yeah. Disney's hope... going to throw money into the show. Well, yeah, because it's a mega hit. But, you know, I, I want them to stay as far removed as possible from the Skywalker saga. Yeah. And that is something that the only, Greg had one nitpick with the first uh, episode yep. of the second season. So, so can I can I explain myself before you say it, or do you want to just say it and then I can explain myself? Because a lot of people have disagreed with me over the years about this. So as as you know, slight spoiler if you haven't seen episode one. If you haven't, what the fuck are you doing? Go watch episode one. Um, uh, the big reveal in the in the episode is that the armor that. Uh, uh, Oh my God, Cobb Timothy, Vanth. Timothy Oliphant's character, yeah. Cobb Vanth, is wearing is Boba Fett's armor. Uh, if you're a longtime Star Wars fan, you would have recognized it out the fucking gate. Um, it is iconic, and I have a thing about Boba Fett. I don't like the character. Now a lot of people go, "How do you not like Boba Fett? Oh my God, he's so cool." Well, he's not that cool. What does he do in the movie? He stands there ominously. He has a reputation. He just—he—he he was the only one to figure out that oh, they're going to go through the—they're going to go through the garbage. <laughs> then told Daddy Vader that they were in Cloud City, and then was like, "Hold on, Vader, can I have—can I have uh, 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 Han Solo's carbonated body to take to Jabba so I can get my money?" And and you know, Darth Vader was like, "Maybe." And then and then what did he do in Episode Three? He he stands in the fucking Jabba's palace. He's on episode the fucking. Six, you mean? Six, sorry. Um, he's standing on the on the uh, the sand thing. The what was it called? Sand the sand skiff. Sailor? Skiff. Thank you, sand skiff. Um, and uh, and then gets fucking thrown into the Sarlacc pit by a blind guy because of his malfunctioning jetpack. He's not that cool of a character. His armor just looks cool. So my distaste towards Boba Fett has everything to do with the fandom versus the character itself. If everyone would shut the fuck up about Boba Fett, I wouldn't be as like, ugh, about it. But um, my big thing is I wanted Boba Fett to remain dead. <laughs> Not? Yeah. <laughs> George Lucas, when he owned Star Wars, he said, no, Boba Fett's dead. In the expanded universe, like all the novels and the comics, Boba Fett survived. And, you know, went on to have some incredible stories in those books. Uh, but those books were never considered actual canon. It was like, yeah, they're authorized stories by Lucasfilm, but they had a lot of contradicting information. But it was generally accepted that it was canon. When Disney bought Star Wars from Lucas, they were like, okay, the only things that count are anything that appears on screen as in TV or movies and the novels and comics that we create from this point forward. Because Disney don't put out books. <laughs> well, they, they've they put out... Uh, there's a, a trio of books. There's actually been several come out, but yeah, the, the three Aftermath books written by Chuck Wendig uh, that pick up after what happened after Return of the Jedi to cover the space between the original trilogy and this it, new it sequel trilogy. concentrates primarily it, on uh, Leia starting the New Republic. Yeah, but one of the characters that they introduced in those books was Cobb Vanth the marshal of a small community on Tatooine called Freetown, also known as Mos Palego, the town that was shown. 
in the oh. See, this yeah. opens up so much more. <laughs> exactly. This is why I say the lore and the universe is always so much more fascinating uh, with better stories when it gets away from the main movies. I've said I've said for a long time now that the the best thing for Star Wars is to divorce itself from the Skywalker saga. Like I know that it is the prime like central point for the entire fucking franchise, but we need to get away from the fucking Skywalker saga if we're ever going to tell like fascinating fucking Star Wars stories again. Yeah, yeah. because I'm sorry, that's not the best story. It's really not. It's not. I mean that is one thing I can say is I was, I really tried to be a fan because my friends love Star Wars, you know, and it was, I tried and I just couldn't do it. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of good there, but you know, as fans, there's also a lot of bad there and you know, you Gotta accept the bad with the good if you're gonna be a fan, and there's sometimes you know it's not possible to do that. But that's why I've always loved the expanded universe and the the video games and the role playing game that used to be a big thing back in the 80s and 90s. You know the novels, the comics. It's just I love to do uh, I love to do another D and D tabletop style thing with Star Wars. I've yeah, not done yeah. that one. That that's interesting because um, my friends were uh, really big fans of Star Wars, and we did D and D, White Wolf, the Apocalypse, uh, all that stuff. We never did Star Wars. I wonder why. I'm gonna have to ask them now. I mean, why there's a lot there. Star like, Wars? yeah, like with like we were talking about the books and the. Uh, um, the TV shows and the video games and all like the, the universe. There was a game, a whole game franchise that came out a long time ago called uh um uh Knights of the Old Republic. Knights of the Old Republic, thank you. That takes place oh. twenty thousand years before anything that you know from the movies. Holy oh, no. shit. No, two thousand. Is it two thousand? That was twenty thousand. I thought it was an extra two thousand. No, two thousand. Because this was, you know, because the Sith only predate the Jedi by like 4,000 years, like the oh. movies. Yeah. Anyway. I, I um, misunderstood that. No, 4,000. I just looked it up. Ha, ah, 4,000. Oh, well, excuse me. Wrong. I was still closer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you would have won the showcase showdown, but that's besides the point. Oh, so, yeah. That's, that's right. I didn't know there was a, a tabletop game for that. So. Yeah. Yep. Some well, friends of mine used to play it a lot. Yeah. I, I never did. I do remember watching episode three and somebody's like, let's watch episode, you know, let's watch Star Wars and uh, make it a drinking game. And we have to drink every time Luke whines. Oh, it made the movie so much better. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the biggest thing about uh, if you did Wars. that. If you did that in A New Hope, you would be drunk. Oh, dear God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Say what you will about Luke Skywalker. Yeah, he whined a lot, but motherfucker had a set of nuts on him. He he had sack. He did not back down from anything. Part of that was due to his naivete and you know, it was just ignorance. But I mean you could say motherfucker that he had, had courage. 
you can say yeah. that, uh, but courage is also uh, needs to be backed by intelligence. Something Luke did not have, but I digress. I, I have to say, yeah. It, here's the thing: I, as a, I've sat here and watched so many videos of stupid people, you know, <laughs> on YouTube compilations, and ninety-five percent of them are young boys Luke's age, who by the skin of their teeth managed to not get hurt doing the stupid shit they do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this is, this is a testosterone thing. This has got to be, you know, I, I just, you know, because boys, I'll let you know boys, I've raised I'll boys. Let- you guys are like, I, I remember uh 4th of July, I had to keep an eye on my teenagers because they wanted to freaking go out in the middle of the road and set off fireworks. And I'm like, you can't do that. <laughs> my brother no. and I, when we were in high school, played tag with Roman candles, shooting balls of fire at each other with Roman candles. Oh, yeah. We did that so, with yeah. rockets. You know, we had to keep it a little safer. I was like, I'm not doing it with real fireworks. I will uh, play with bottle rockets, but that's it. We though. played we played bonfire roulette with bottle rockets. We would take them and throw a whole bundle in a in a fire and just say, Don't get hit or you're out. Um and <laughs> scatter. <laughs> Jesus. Uh there was a, there was an onion article that cracked me up a long time ago. Um that was uh it showed a picture of Luke, and it says, "A uh, young boy indoctrinated into terrorist organization to destroy a space station." <laughs> I was like, "You know, that's not entirely incorrect." <laughs> no, not at all. He was radicalized. Yep. But yeah. Um, so the movies—they're what they are. You either love them, hate them, just like them, okay. But one thing that John Favreau has done with the Mandalorian has brought in new fans, absolutely, and just created a well built upon existing universe. But you know, giving us some fantastic stories and lore. Um, let's break down season two, episode one, aka chapter nine, the Marshal. Holy shit! I love this episode. Yeah, no, it was great. This episode has been my favorite that's been done so far. So, oh, yeah. one thing I do want to mention real quick, and I because a lot of people are not talking about it, is this is by far the most pandery episode yet. I don't hate the episode. I'm just critiquing it on a certain level. It has the most references and pandery type uh, stuff in it. Um, well, I'll just say, I think that they were kind of low-key enough that uh, Jeff didn't pick up on a lot of things that I did. And I'm not even a, a fan. I just know this from having watched the movies enough. You know, so there were certain things that I was like, oh, shit. You know, I was like, yeah. And I told him. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah. You know, so I thought it was exciting. I didn't think that there was like a ton of stuff thrown at the people but i guess if you're a really big fan maybe there was i'll, I'll say this just enough yeah i'll say this like there's a difference between being just straight up pandering and like just like hey guys like my movie because or like my show because it remember this shit like the member berries thing from south park and then there's <laughs> making that reference tie into the plot 
Uh, for example, one of the big ones in the episode, the like most obvious one, is when uh, Mando hits uh, um, the the jetpack on Tim Dillafan's character's uh, suit. That's a direct yeah. reference to Han Solo hitting that jetpack and it malfunctioning, mm-hmm. and you know. Um, and then when he hands it back to him right before he's getting ready to leave, he's like, "You tell your people, I'm not the one that broke that." <laughs> Talking yeah. about the jetpack. Yeah. yeah um that that's a direct reference but it's not just a reference for the sake of it being a reference it fit in the scenario in which it was happening that mando wanted to save his life and he he did that so i thought that that was a very clever way of using a a reference and the show does that really well because i've talked to a few people about this episode and they're just like yeah i didn't even notice that but you're right it's totally there so well, another another example of it is when he's trying to find this other Mandalorian when he's in the spaceport in Mos Eisley, and he's talking to Amy Sedaris's character, whose name escapes me off the top of my head, but the one with the pit droids, and she's like, "Oh, let yeah. me see the baby." She's like, "If this thing ever spawns or you know splits and divides, can I have it?" You know, I'm yeah, just I kidding. No, seriously. Thing. Yeah, yeah, I like her. She's he's like, well, where's Mos Pelago? You know, she's like, well, it's here, and she's like, hey, R five, come here, and you know, show him the map, and here's this droid that starts rolling towards him, and she's like, hurry up, I ain't got all day. She's like, it's hard to get good help. That's a direct reference to the astromech in Episode Four that Luke's uncle was going to buy. And then it broke down. He said, "This R two, this R, uh, this Astro Mix got a bad motivator. Huh. That was the same droid supposed to be." Yeah, um, I didn't even know that. So, yeah, yeah those, that's maybe, one of those deep Easter eggs. Yeah, again, yeah, you you hardcore fans will definitely pick up on that stuff. I picked up on just enough. I was like, "Hey." <laughs> Yeah, there's there's quite a few things. I, but again, and and that's that's the important part is like, and I can't stress this enough. It's it's there to like appease the hardcore fans because it's fun to just be like, hey, I remember that. But also at the same time, like, it's a it's it's good to the plot. Um, yeah, it's for, woven in. It's not shoehorned. It doesn't feel forced. It's like oh. Yeah, like half of the shit that's in that opening scene where he goes to that fight club, hundred percent references. The two, the two uh, uh, fighters in that ring look very similar to the, uh, um, the the like VR or the AR, whatever you want to call that uh, uh, chess thing that they're playing on the Millennium Falcon in the first movie. Um, looked. Are oh, you talking cool. about the Gamorians in the fighting ring? Yeah, Gamorians. Jesus, I'm so bad with names. Well, yeah, there was the Jabba's palace guards. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then the the aliens that the, he talks to are all races that you know we're going to recognize. Also, John Leguizamo played the one-eyed guy, by the way. Also, that was supposed to be the same alien from the original cut of the Cantina scene from the first Star Wars movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Wait, so is- John Leguizamo was in this? John Leguizamo was the one-eyed alien in the fight club uh, that that he went to. And he says, this is no place for a child, Mandalorian. That was John Leguizamo. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I love him. Yeah, I do too. And uh, the guy that played the bartender on Tatooine in the small town of Mos Pelago, that was W. Earl Brown, who played Dan Doherty on uh, Deadwood. 
So, you know, he's a friend of Timothy Oliphant's uh, because oh. they worked on that show together. That was a guy that played Dan on Deadwood, if you're familiar with that show. To a small extent, I am. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Al Swearingen's right-hand man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I didn't was, know uh, that. There was another big reference, uh, the crate dragon himself. Uh -huh. um, oh, yeah. We've never, we've never seen a crate dragon in, in a, a live fashion like this. Uh, because the first time that you quote unquote technically see one is in episode four or the first Star Wars movie ever when uh, C-3PO is walking through the sand and you see a giant fucking skeleton of what looks like a big ass snake. It, it's it's a dead great dragon. Oh. And Obi-Wan Kenobi was supposed to imitate its hell. And that's what scared away the sand people. Yeah. You know, because they're and this was a nice nod. I love to see. I love seeing that here are these sand people, the Tuscan Raiders, you know, they're like, we want to kill this thing, but we can't do it by ourselves. And them making the deal to work with the town and the Mandalorian to take down this thing. I just loved it. Oh, yeah. When they walked out there with the sand person and the, the big whatever that kind of animal is. What is Bantha. that called? Bantha. Uh, Bantha. Yeah. yeah, it's like a mix between a woolly mammoth and an aurax. But uh, yeah. yeah, when it came after the same person and not that thing, I was dying laughing. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the other scenes that, uh, or one of the other things in the episode that I remember is a is a reference is um, uh, Timothy Olyphant. I cannot remember his character's name for the fucking life of me, but um, Cobb C O B B Vanth V A N T H Cobb Vanth. I'll, I'll I'll remember it eventually. When Cobb Vanth is uh, uh, driving across no, the sand won't. in a speeder with um, with Mando, his speeder is made out of a uh, an engine from a pod racer, and a lot of people are saying it specifically looks like Anakin's. Um, it's very it could... similar. It's not the exact copy, but yeah. it's easy that it could have been the same one just modified over the years. But it is you know, it that's... is very clearly from a pod racer, regardless. Yeah, it's got the same paint scheme. Without a few markings, same colors. Uh, there's some modifications on it. You know, mm -hmm. he obviously put a seat on the thing, but whether or not it is Anakin's, it's clearly a pod racer, and I think that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So the the point is, is the fucking the the references and the pandering is through the fucking roof. But that complaint... they're done in ways that don't hurt the story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they're not they're not just there to make us go, ooh, look. Also also, also uh Betty, um the scene where Cobb Vanth uses his uh uses Boba Fett's like targeting thing with the rocket. Uh -huh. we've, we've never seen that in action. That was the first time ever. That was based on the original toy yep. that was a mail away figure back in nineteen eighty. Uh, before the Empire Strikes Back came out, they were there was about a year long campaign. It's like, hey, this is our new character for the next Star Wars movie, Boba Fett. Look at him; he's cool, and he looked awesome. And one of the things was he had a rocket firing backpack. And if you collected, if you bought four figures and mailed in their proof of purchase, you would get a rocket firing Boba Fett when they released it. Everybody was excited, and I remember being excited, and then I got my Boba Fett, and the rocket didn't fire. It was glued into the backpack. But on the back of the card, it showed him bending over at that angle, 
and you could push a button and it would fire the rocket. That was the first time we'd ever actually seen it on screen, which was very cool. Yeah. That was okay. Yeah, it was exciting. <laughs> wow, um, I'm learning but, so much. <laughs> <laughs> you got two major Star Wars fans here. I have like yeah. a, I was going through I was cleaning my room the other day and I was going through all my board games and I forgot that I have a uh, Star Wars Monopoly which is the the properties are all uh, the planets in the game and the, the game in the movies and uh, all the figurines are um, are major players in the movies. This is also before uh, seven, eight, nine. This is just the original six movies. Um, and then I also have a, a DVD based trivial pursuit of star Wars. And I bought that back when the only movies that were out were, uh, uh, four, five, and six, and one and two. So it doesn't even have like episode three trivia in it. It's that old. Wow. I remember when um, Jeff's dad died and we went through the house, and Jeff's room was pretty much still the same way it had been when he was a teenager in the 70s. And um, I found some 1970s um, coloring pages from a comic book he had had that were Star Wars. And I uh, gave him yeah. to my friend because he was, you know, he's a huge fan. And, yeah, I was like, well, this is cool. And he's not even a Star Wars fan. I'm not sure what he was doing with them. <laughs> uh, one of the other things that, that my brother bought me a long time ago, and I think this is really cool, is there's a there's a board game set. And I believe it came out in, nine, in, in 1984. Um, and it's, uh, it's just called Ewok or uh, Wicked the Ewok. And he found yep. two, he found two of them that were incomplete, and I think with both of them I have a complete board game. But oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I'm looking at them right now. On top of that, by the way, is a board game of Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four, and it is a terrible board game. It's about <laughs> as it's about as easy to play as Shoots and Ladders. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a cool little collectible. But uh, but yeah, like uh, I mean, I have a Star Wars tattoo for Christ's sake, so. I shouldn't be too terribly surprised that you're going to learn a lot with Maya and I with Star Wars. <laughs> well, it's like some of this I feel like I should already know, but it's not like I sat around with you know my friends and had intellectual conversations about this for the most part. I will give a shout out to Deke, THX 1138. Um, yeah. <laughs> he swore up and down I would never remember this. And I was like 16 at the time. And here I am, 41. I still remember. Okay. I don't know what it is, but I remember. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fans will sit there and say, THX 1138, it's, 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 it's uh, George Lucas's uh, uh, first sci-fi movie, and it's, it's, it's his first movie, and it's a fucking great movie. And I'm just like, it's terrible. It's oh, is that good. what it is? I had no idea. I just know it that was... he's like, you'll never remember this. I have. <laughs> It was the name of his first, uh, it was a short film that he did in college when he was in film school. It was also the uh, call sign of a stormtrooper on the Death Star in the first movie, uh, THX 1138. Why aren't you at your post? Um, also, Boogie Nights, it was a receiver that Buck Swope was trying to sell in the stereo store when he was uh, trying to break away from doing porn. Oh, there's wow. your Boogie Nights Star Wars reference. Uh, also, also, Boogie Nights in a hot minute. <laughs> another slight reference is the uh, the the theater Dolby Dolby like not Dolby maybe it's not Dolby but the uh, 
the says now yeah the thx that yeah the THX. thx from that comes from this it comes from oh yeah well you know the cinema in abingdon yeah that, you know what a great theater that used to be um yeah it's not so much anymore since you know the pinnacle opened up but Lucas designed the sound system in the new side of those theaters because they were designed specifically for the prequels. Yeah, I remember. THX helped design that. Yeah, going to see the um, episode one, you know, dude's very involved with his theater, and I've always appreciated that out of him. He's he's a funny guy. Um, Oh, the guy that owns it? Yeah. <laughs> I always loved how they would just dress up and get in character for big movie releases. Oh, yeah. And, and come down before each movie and talk to the people and say, hey, who's here for their first time or what have you? Yeah. And because see, it was an impressive place. Yeah. And that's the thing. I Having lived here for the past 20 years and the theater is five minutes from my house, you know, that we went to see a lot of movies there and he would always come out and, you know, talk and, you know, tell everybody to have a good show. And they did walking dead screenings there and served beer. And yeah, it was amazing. And I think that the pandemic has really hit them hard. Yeah, it has. Well, they used to do UFC fight nights, you know, show the pay-per-views in there, wrestling pay-per-views, all kinds of things. The place was awesome. Yeah. But, yeah. But, uh, when you got heated seats, you know, recliners now and the new pinnacle and stuff, and get your own drinks, you can get a Slurpee. Yeah. Get that at the, the Abingdon Theater. <laughs> yeah. But I don't go to the theater that much. So I can't, rem- I think the last thing I went to see was in Kingsport with Deke. It was one of the, one of the superhero movies. <laughs> I'm so last bad. Thing I went, last thing we went and saw was the last Star Wars movie in December at the Pinnacle. Yeah, and it's been longer than that for me. I was say before the pandemic, the last movie I saw in theater was uh, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Ew. And then, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's actually not a bad movie. It's just, you know, very much a kid's movie. Um, and then, uh, during the pandemic, I went and saw, uh, Tenet, which I highly recommend. Okay. Once that comes out on whatever, but we all wore masks in the theater, so it was safer than not. So do we have any expectations for season two from you guys? Uh, I mean, do you know anything that we should look for? Not, not nope. particularly. I just, I really hope that what, one thing I will say that I absolutely love about Mandalorian is that it sticks with its plot of like what what the main goal is but has like these fun side stories um I'm not a big fan of like monster of the week type shows and what I mean by that is like every episode is its own story situation like I don't I'm not the world's biggest fan of that but this show does that better than I think other shows where I still know what Mandalorian what what the Mando's goal is he wants to find other Mandalorians to help him find where this where baby Yoda's uh, family is. And we're still on track with that. Um, 
now we have the ad- ad- addition of like, oh, Boba Fett's here. So how is that going to play in? Hopefully they make Boba Fett cool. Um, is Boba Fett here? I mean, he's got the armor. That, that doesn't mean. No, that's who showed up at the very end when the Mandalorian was riding off in the sunset. Oh. That bald character that looked like he had Tuscan Raider garb on, but no no mask on. Okay. That was Boba Fett. I didn't know that. <laughs> that's uh, the actor that played his uh, father. And the prequel movie, uh, Attack of the Clones, and also who played all of the clone troopers because he was cloned off of Jango Fett. Yeah, from the second and third movie. No, just the second movie. My bad. Yeah, from the the second and third movie. Okay. He's not in the third because he dies in the third. Or he dies in the second. Sorry, he dies in the second. But the clones are still unmasked and still him. You're absolutely correct on that, yes. See, as someone who is not aware of all this i'm still enjoying the show <laughs> no that's great i think well that's then that's the thing is that I, i'm looking i'm trying to look at the boba fett thing from a perspective of like your area betty where you don't really know who the character is and this might lead to something fucking awesome yeah i, I have no expectations based on lore or anything because i'm just going with this story <laughs> I, I, I should, think when you go into something with no expectations based on existing lore, I think it's a more satisfying experience because you get into experience it unbiased. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way I'm ever going to be able to experience anything Star Wars unbiased. That's just not, that's not a possibility in my <laughs> life. Um, but I, I, you know, I do want to have an open mind as to what could happen with Boba Fett. I genuinely hope it's a good story, and I think that they'll make a good story out of it. Um, where it'll go, I don't know, because now we have we have uh, uh, two major plots, and that's you know stuff with the child involving the child, and now the Boba Fett thing. Um, not to mention, like, where the fuck is uh, um, the guy who played Gus Fring? I can't think of his name. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito. Thank you. Uh, you know his character, Moff uh, Moff Gideon. Yeah, yeah where I the like fuck him. is he? Where the fuck is he? Like, there's so many goddamn questions that I'm excited about. So, even though I'm not the world's biggest fan of them keeping Boba Fett alive, I'm still a huge fan of the show. Um, well, why don't we go ahead and give our final thoughts on the episode? Unless you guys have anything else to add and agreed. Oh, I also just want to say that I loved Quill. I have spoken. <laughs> before before the this is the way I have spoken was the most quoted thing from the Mandalorian and then there became this is the way. Yeah. Uh and you know both are great. <clears throat> but yeah, that was that was Nick Nolte by the way. Yeah, the I voice. know. I that was he was probably one of my favorite characters in season 1 and I did cry a little when he died. It made me sad. <laughs> Yeah, he was a very good character. He was. He was great. I was like, I like him. I like how, you know, how the Mand- Mandalorian, Din Djarin, uh, I love how he kind of softened up and accepted and viewed the necessity of IG-11 before he self-destructed. Oh, yeah. Like, He's not that, stupid. That was cool. But, you know, he yeah. can have his biases, but he's not stupid. Yeah. But yeah, uh, anything else you want to add before we? Other than that, no. I think it's great episode, great show. What grade would you give it? Oh, this episode or the show? 
overall? Uh, season one overall, and then this episode. Season one overall, I'd give a B plus. Okay. Um, no. Season two, episode one, I give an A plus. Damn. Nice. Yeah, I got to echo that. Uh, I think that's actually what I gave the season one, maybe an A minus or a B plus, something like that. But I know going back and rewatching it, I think I enjoyed it more the second time around than I did the first time. Uh, but as for this episode, this hands down has been my favorite episode they've done yet. I've watched it four times already. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's absolutely hammered home a fucking plus loved it. Of course, I'm also a huge fan of Timothy Oliphant and justified was one of my favorite shows ever. So the fact that he's back in another role as a marshal, that was pretty awesome. Oh, he was such a great character for that role too. I mean, yeah, he, he nailed it. I was like, oh, I love him. I hope he comes back into this. <laughs> mm-hmm. He um, was a fun character. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Greg. Uh, it's just I, I was trying to think of like what grade to give it because I, I love the episode. I want to say it's an A for me, not an A plus. I, I really I, I cannot emphasize this enough. I'm not. I again do not like the fact that Boba Fett's still alive, but um, I do have faith that they're going to do something cool with it. So, but the rest of the episode was a lot of fun. It was uh, uh, really interesting, kept my attention the entire time. And, and um, as a Star Wars fan, like they, there was a lot of nice little like homages and touches to the past. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but uh, I'm really excited to see what they do with a lot of this plot that they're giving us right now. Um, I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't think I can say it was my favorite episode so far. I really do think that the, like, I want to say the first three episodes, like, I want to say, like, episode three was, like, better to me in a way, but that's also, I also really, really, really fucking like the episode with uh, uh, Bill Burr. Like, I fucking love that episode so much. <laughs> nice shoes. <laughs> so. Um. Oh my gosh, what was I going to say? Oh, do you guys, I know this is probably going to sound stupid, but do you think that the sand people and the people of the uh, Moss Pelago Pelago are going to be friendly with each other now? Uh, I don't think they'll be friendly with each other. I think they'll just respect each other's distances and be, you know, loosely civil. Yeah, because I think one of the big things that uh, Mando said was like, "It'll be civil until one of you fucks up that 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 situation." Yeah, so. yeah. So I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping it goes well. I don't know why, but I feel invested in this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the thing that sucks, and we might visit them again. I I, I hope we do to an extent, but what uh, uh, likely will happen is we'll never see this town again. I know, and that makes me really sad <laughs> because I, I haven't. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they work together. Does that mean we can come together as one and and be a big happy family? <laughs> I think that's yeah. just expectations for America right now. Coming <laughs> out in shows for me. <laughs> yeah, what I'm hoping is like in season one where we like in when we revisited some of the characters from season from early episodes. Like I'm kind of hoping that something happens in this where Mando has to go back in and and recruit Tim the Elephant's character for a thing. Yeah, that would be amazing. 
So that would be cool. And I would love to see some sand people sitting at the bar with the villagers. Oh, you that'll know? never happen. But yeah, that would like, be no. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it would bring this country together. Oh, slight, slight little cool fucking thing about this episode is they actually hired a uh, a deaf person to um, basically create the sand people sign language. Awesome. Yeah, because in that one episode in the first season, they did that same thing. And I think they brought back the same person. Yeah. It was a little bit less... Uh, Extra like uh, like uh, extended for that for season one, whereas this season two was like they were up, up close and personal with them. So, yeah, I really like that aspect of it. The, the episode one of season two is I felt like I got to learn a little bit more about the same people and how they did things because I don't feel like that was ever fully addressed from what I saw of the movies. And maybe yeah, in some no, of the later it was, episodes it was, but you know, again, I've only watched. It was never really heavily touched on in the movies. You know, you just saw that they were a tribal people that attacked funny outsiders and wear those respirator masks because you know they've they've lived out in those wastes for thousands of years. And yeah, they do things a little different. Yeah, sci-fi is always funny like that because. In uh, Mass Effect, one of my favorite games, there's a whole like race of of, of people whose uh, entire like um, uh, oh my god, the system in your body that kills uh, viruses and bacteria, your immune system, your blood cells, your immune system, your immune system is what I'm trying to think of. There's a race of people whose entire immune system is uh, so bad that they have to constantly wear these respirators unless they're in, in an entirely sterile area. Even on their home planet, how and does one survive that? That's exactly that's exactly my, my thing. But it's like that's Star Wars or not Star Wars, but that's fantasy, like sci-fi fantasy. Jesus yeah, Christ, you know that is that is an issue that you know. Again, I I have issues when it comes to the evolution of alien species. You know, unless yeah. you got like a theory going on, like Star Trek with preceding planets. You know, there's a. a have you ever seen the movie um, uh, Pitch Black with uh, Vin Diesel? Yes. I have a major issue with that movie. And it's how do these creatures that perpetually live underground on a planet that is that has sun, like, except for one day of the year, how did they how did they evolve to just be underground all the time? That they're that there's not a single race or single creature on this planet that lives in the day. Like what, how, what, that doesn't make any fucking sense evolutionary no. wise. <laughs> yeah. I, I've watched that movie one time and yeah, I'm never going back to revisit it. So <laughs> it was bad from what I recall. I was like, Oh my God, is this going on right now? I haven't watched it in a really long time, but a lot of people have argued with me. Like it's still a fun movie. It's just fantasy dude. And then yeah, I said, the it's not always fun. You know I mean? It's, you got to get some things right. You know, you just do. You have to, you know, you don't have to get everything right, but at least put down some grounding basics. This does not make sense. You know, like you said, nothing has evolved to live in the daylight. What's going yeah. on here? Star Trek, Star Trek does a much better job at using like proper science and, and uh, theory and stuff like that than any other sci-fi thing that I've ever read. Or oh yeah, Definitely. 
Star and Trek I, is so much better than Star Wars, in my opinion, when it comes to that. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I, that's also really funny because my mom always gets Star Wars and Star Trek confused. Like, she basically thinks they're the same thing, and I'm like, no, no, they're really not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bless her heart. I don't blame her, though. <laughs> um, so, before we, uh, like, uh, well, we don't have another thing to review or talk about. But before we started recording, we do a little bit of like uh, bullshitting to um, kind of warm the pipes up. And uh, we were kind of talking about our history with video games. Um, Xbox tweeted out yesterday. Um, and I, hit, I, I retweeted it because I thought it was something that I've echoed for a long time. Um, and that's a whole, the whole point of a video game is to be entertained and have fun. Don't let anyone ruin that for you. The reason we got into this conversation was because Betty's husband, Jeff, doesn't really play video games. But he's found a video game that he enjoys, and that's Minecraft. I'm a big advocate that gaming is for everybody, regardless of what you enjoy. That if you want to play or want to enjoy tetris and that's it you're a gamer if all you want to play and enjoy is some mobile game you're a gamer that's how this works period i've been playing video games since i was five years old i'm 37 now uh it breaks my heart every fucking time when a woman or somebody in general is told that primarily women because jesus christ the gatekeeping um mm -hmm is told that they aren't a real gamer because they don't play certain some specific fucking shooter competitively that oh well if you only play fucking Overwatch you're not a real you're not a real you're not a real gamer because you don't play like Call of Duty or CS:GO if you are gatekeeping and this is outside of video games if you gatekeep in general let's say it's Star Wars oh well Betty you know what you don't deserve to watch Mandalorian because you don't like the movies no that's gatekeeping <laughs> <laughs> that's gatekeeping and you can go fuck yourself um no i'm just getting on a gatekeeping rant uh but uh i play almost all of my single player games on easy almost every single one of them my friends give me shit because they're my friends and they'll just they're gonna give me shit regardless but that doesn't mean that i'm not allowed to play my games on easy that doesn't mean that you're not allowed to play your games on easy. Um, There's a reason they have an easy mode. Exactly. Uh, so the reason that we got into this conversation was because, and not just easy games, but like your preference for what you want to play. I don't mm -hmm. expect Betty to be like, yeah, I'm going to play the new fucking Call of Duty. She's not that type of person. <laughs> like, no. So when she's like, I played Skyrim for the 18th time ever. I'm like, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but we got into a conversation about like, um, uh, basically the idea that Jeff likes to play on PC, but Betty doesn't because she's left-handed. Um, am I correct in that? That's right. Yeah. And he's more comfortable with a PC. And I grew up with a controller in my hand. Yeah. You know, and he didn't, you know, there is an age difference between us. 
And so he grew up in a time where Atari came out when he was like a teenager. So, and he oh, was yeah. already into computers by that point and doing small programs and stuff. So it wasn't something that he really got into. And he went to college and got married by the time um, Nintendo was out. And I was five. You know, I was playing Nintendo while he was running a business, you know? <laughs> so yeah. we have very different um, aspects of how we play. And again, he's he's not comfortable using both his hands to, you know, play a game in that manner, which again, it's second nature to me to have a controller in my hand and know that this side does one thing and this side does the other. Because it's pretty much... Across the board for most games, you know that this side's going to do certain rules and this side's going to do other certain rules. And he's not used to that. And he's much more comfortable with a mouse and his keyboard. And I i can't stand that. It's just not set up for me being left-handed to play those types of games well. And I don't like playing with a computer on my con- um, or playing with a controller on my computer because it bugs out a lot of times or their their settings are not the same as they would be on the Xbox or on a PlayStation. So they've got weird controller buttons. And if you try to change them, you might've just screwed up the whole program. Yeah. That's so, yeah, you were mentioning that. And I, and I was talking about uh, a guy, a guy named uh, Greg Miller, who um, he's uh, the head of kind of funny used to work for IGN. And Greg Miller uh, was expressing how, like, one day he just tweeted out, like, I fucking hate PC gaming. And he elaborated on that, and he was basically talking about how, like, he was playing a game yesterday, and he goes to play it today, and it doesn't work. For no discernible reason, he can't figure it out, it just doesn't want to work. That's not something that happens on console. No. Um, No. And... The other big thing is like, if you want to play games on PC at a at a good quality, you kind of have to know what the fuck you're doing and how to build one. Not everyone has that knowledge, and not everyone has the money to hire somebody with that knowledge. So buying a five hundred dollar console is a hell of a lot more uh, uh, cost effective and um, easy to deal with. User friendly. User friendly, yeah. Um. Because this you can is hand also- a controller to a kid who doesn't even know how to, you know, read, let alone type on a computer, and they'll figure it out. Yeah, a three-year-old absolutely. can figure out a controller. Absolutely. You know? I think I think a good example of this because you were mentioning how you have an Xbox and a Wii, and um, I still remember to this day that like I was working at Walmart when the Wii came out, specifically when the Wii and PS3 came out, and. Uh, what was really funny to me was, I don't know if I've ever told you the story, but I know I've told Maya. And I know that I told that on the podcast, but fuck it, here we go. Um, no, memory lane. <laughs> when I worked at Walmart during this time, I worked in electronics. And uh, we the, the PS3 came out before the Wii. PS3, not PS4. And uh, I think I said PS4, so sorry. Um, no, you said three. Okay. At this time, there were robbings of people getting PS3s. That there were stories about other stores on the East Coast 
uh, selling PS3s and people getting robbed at going to the car or whole trucks of PS3s getting robbed. Like it was a big deal at the time. So we had two associates, two male associates go out to the cars with um, uh, anybody who bought a PS3. And wow. I was I was one of those associates. So I walked uh, like quite a few people to their car with some other associate that I was hanging out with. Like we were just kind of hanging out, waiting by the door for people to walk through. You should put and, that on your resume. Do you get to put that on your resume that you were oh, a yeah. PS3 bodyguard? I don't know if I get to put it on there like that, but I definitely, I if it, if it, if it ever came up in conversation or like in, in an interview or something, I'd definitely bring it up. But, um, uh, I remember that being a thing. And then when we sold the Wii, I was the only one there. Literally, <laughs> I had a I had a whole stack of PS or a whole stack of Wii's and a small line, and we didn't sell every single Wii night one. Yet, after everything was said and done, there were more Wii's sold than PS3s. Within the first month, we couldn't keep a Wii on the shelf. Now, I've had people say, "Why was that?" And if you had to make a guess, Betty, as to why the Wii's were selling more than PS3's, what would you say the reason was? They were family friendly. They were family friendly. And not just family friendly, but like anybody could play a Wii. Well, yeah, they again, were family friendly, completely user friendly. Um, again, I didn't, I didn't buy one uh, right out the gate. Uh, my friend who um, I went to high school with and we both have daughters around the same age. She had gotten one and she actually pulled a muscle playing bowling and she was <laughs> telling me about it and how much fun she had, even though she'd pulled a muscle playing bowling on the Wii. I was like, okay, you know what? It's been a hot minute since we've updated our gaming system. Let's try this out. And we did. And I loved it. I was like, oh, this is so much fun. <laughs> you know? Because it and it's um, yeah, it's definitely user friendly across the board. As somebody who has mobility issues, um, I found the Wii much more um, user friendly than a Connect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Connect was also wonky as shit at that time. I remember like during the 360 era, like trying to get things were actually on my YouTube channel. There was a game that came out with that connect that utilized like your emotions during mini games and then would add it into a full like trailer for a film. Oh my God. Uh, it's I'll have to send it to you. It's so fucking bad. But uh, um, even in that video, you can see how bad the connect works. And, uh, and I have a connect for the Xbox one and it's still kind of shit. Um, it never fully worked, but you know, like the Wii, it worked. Like, it's like you said, like it, I could play things. I could play, like, I don't know how many times I played fucking, you know, Wii Sports with my nephews. Oh, yeah. And, you and know, that, our that was kids also, were, we had kids from, you know, I think Lydia was around six or seven when we got one and all the way up to teenagers. And we all enjoyed playing together, you know. And again, yeah. it wasn't something that you had to be extremely um, physical to do a lot of these activities, you know? Yeah. So it made it fun. You know, Lydia could play baseball just as much as an adult could. Didn't matter. You know, as long as you held the controller the right way, it was okay. Connect was a little more 
there were more issues with that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you were not tall enough or you didn't have enough room between you and the TV, there were problems. Yeah, the um I remember when uh one of the big things, you know, you mentioned how like with the with the Wii there was, you know, the the there were games that people like to play and it was primarily Wii Sports. One of the biggest issues that we had, and I remember my manager coming to me because they had gotten a thing from Nintendo, and it was that uh, we needed to sell more games. We needed to sell more hardware. And when I said, why? Like, I don't understand why. And he goes, because apparently uh, Wii's are only, like, Wii sales are through the fucking roof, like 500% or some shit like that. But game sales are like fucking seventy five percent. Like they were underperforming, and it was yeah. just that like people didn't care. They wanted this gimmicky game that was fun to play, and I was like, I get it. I totally fucking get it. But it like it 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 fucked up a lot of stuff, and I always found that really interesting. But well, there um, was also a lot of issues with um, a lot of the other games that they had for the Wii were not as good. They really weren't. Oh, no, I agree. Wholeheartedly. Yeah, because we did try out several because, I, you know, again, this was a fun way of me interacting with my child at that point in time and not being fully abled. You know, I'm not I'm not completely disabled, but I'm not completely fully abled either with uh, my hips. So it was something we could do together and I didn't have to kill myself over, you know. Right. And some of the other games were just really, really bad, and they were not user-friendly. I mean, I hate to say it, but, you know, Nintendo did the best job with the Wii Sports and um, their um, Wii Fitness. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I ever told you about what happened when I got onto a Wii Fitness board, by the way. Oh. <laughs> uh, me being... Uh, yeah, me being too heavy for it, uh, my buddy Andy actually got one. And I stepped on it, and uh, <laughs> the game literally went, Error! Please don't have more than one person on the board. Oh, my God. So I stepped off of it thinking, like, maybe I put too much pressure or something on it. And so I got off of it, and it was like, please try again. I got out, and it was like, it said again, it was like, uh uh, a warning, please not more than one person on the board. So we like adjusted it. Maybe we thought it was like off kilter or something like that. And we tried it one more time and the whole thing was just like, this is your third warning to not have more than two people or one person on the board. I was like, well, not going to happen for me. It's It has a weight limit, I think of like 250 pounds. Yeah. Which, you know, isn't, isn't as user friendly. Well, Nintendo got sued. Nintendo got sued by uh, by a parent who was like, the Wii Fit board called my daughter fat. And then they like took a family picture. I was like, your daughter's fat. Yeah. Why <laughs> uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm a short, chunky girl. And the Wii Fit didn't lie. <laughs> I'm a short, chunky girl. You know? <laughs> but yeah, I'm okay with that. You know, my, my friend Matt, he's real tall. He's a big boy. And he couldn't use the we fit board because he's too big for it. You know, it's like he came over and, and he was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to try that. I was like, you can't, <laughs> you'll break it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Says right here, weight limit, you know? Yeah, it sucks. So I'm not surprised they got sued over it. I mean, people don't want to hear they're fat and they definitely don't want to hear that their kid is fat. So yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I just I find it I, I like I think my big problem like and, and that was other than price that was the big reason that the Wii sold like my mom never gave two fucks about video gaming mm. other than she knew that her 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 sons really enjoyed it. And then hmm. like she for her 50th birthday wanted a fucking Wii. Like I was fucking blown away. So like I did everything in my power. I went to every store that was possibly selling Wii's and I finally found one at Best Buy. Um, and we surprised her for it on her birthday and she got, she got Wii and, uh, or sorry, Wii Sports and Mario Kart. Here's the thing. She played it for about a month and a half and then it went into storage. Uh, we still play Wii. I love to pull out Mario Kart with Lydia. You know, this is basically taught the kid how to drive and she's good now. You know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, girl. Yeah. I love to race with her. It's so much fun. My, and I uh, like playing tennis. I was going to say that the, uh, I really wish that for the switch, they would come out with another like sports game, a sports title that I can, we can bowl in or something like that. Cause that doesn't exist on the switch at the moment. Does it have, does it have that kind of Wii capability? Yes. Oh, I yes. didn't know that. Yeah, each of the Joy-Cons has uh, more advanced technology than the Wii controller or even the uh, Wii U controller that was like a little bit more one-to-one. Like there's a there's a game that came out for the Switch. I don't remember what it's called. I, I'm drawing a complete blank. But it was a series of mini games that use like just the like micro adjustments you make with your hand while holding it. Like it's that sensitive. Wow. Um, like I could slowly move my hand around and it would track it entirely. So, and it doesn't have a camera on the TV. So I played, uh, you ever play uh, Mario Galaxy? Um, it was a game that utilized the, the, the motion control and, and pointing it at the screen. Primarily pointing at the screen so you could collect these things called star bits in the game and they were used as a currency. Uh, but also, it, when you shook the Wii remote, because you had the nunchuck in the other hand, uh, when you shook the Wii remote, Mario would spin, and that could hurt enemies, or um, he would have to spin in order to be launched out of stars to another planet, since that's its planet hopping via Mario. And uh, um, I was really curious when they when the Switch had come out with like the 3D All-Star pack, where it had Super Mario 64, Super Mario Sunshine, and Super Mario uh, Galaxy. I was like, how are they going to implement that with like motion controls or pointing the controller at the screen? Um, because the Pro Controller, the one that looks like an Xbox controller, and the Joy-Cons use that certain technology, it just recognizes that you're pointing at a, you're holding the controller a certain direction. And it puts a icon on the screen that you can just slightly move around with whatever controller you're holding. Yeah. And it put a button press for the uh, spin ability. But let's say you wanted to play Mario Galaxy like it was on the Wii. You just take the Joy-Cons out and play it that way. And every time you shake one of them, it spins Mario. Yeah, I haven't interacted with the Switch at all, so. Switch is a fantastic little console. Yeah, everybody I've heard talk great. about it likes it. It's I both handheld and, and TV-based. And it's, it's a lot of the indie games that are on PC end up on the switch before any other console. Oh, so, wow. Like there's this one, um, there was a, there was, there's a company that made two fantastic isometric style games. The first one was bastion. Um, and the other one is uh, transmission. 
And uh, Bastion is more of a dungeon crawlery type game, like Zelda, Legend of Zelda. Uh, but you like you're not you don't know what the next area is going to hold because it was like the world fell apart and you're just trying to find your way through it and and it's it's, it's I love Bastion, but then Transmission is more about this this girl who has a has a giant sword based on sound and music, and you have to solve puzzles using that. Um, and I I love them both; they're great. So they made a new one called Hades. Which is like the best of both Bastion and Transmission. Hades only exists on PC and Switch. Wow. So, and that's because Nintendo does a great job at getting those, you know, $20 game exclusives. Well, if we ever go to buy a new one, I'll have to keep that in mind. Yeah. So, like, they're, they're going to be coming out soon. I mean, it's not announced or anything, but it's pretty much like their their, their method of doing things. Like, I guarantee you, this month they're going to announce a a better switch, a better like a more it has more memory, it has you know just better quality stuff, like a Switch Pro or something like that. So, well, talking about our our history with uh, gaming. What do you guys remember as your first game that you played or your first memories of playing? I haven't I have an exact memory of this, but I'd like to hear Maya's first. Uh Space Invaders on the Atari twenty six hundred. How old are you? I was it was nineteen eighty one. So I was five. Oh, this is right before the crash, huh? <laughs> Right before the crash. And were you hooked for life? Oh yeah. 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 I've I've never not been a gamer. Even after yeah. the crash, uh the video game crash of eighty three, uh, brought on by E. T. Uh, wouldn't blame it just on E. T., but yes, I get your point. It, no, but that was <laughs> that was the catalyst. Um all of the video games at the time, there one department store that used to be here, Roses. Uh, you could go and get Atari games for like two bucks, and they just had bins full of them. So we literally had like seventy or eighty Atari games because we would take ten bucks and go buy five new games about once a month, and you know eventually I got an NES, uh, and yeah. Once, once I discovered RPGs, I was like, yeah, this is what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Uh, so mine uh, starts back when I was five years old. Um, I had seen a lot of uh, ads for Nintendo. So this is, I. Uh, when did the, Nintendo came out in 85, right? Came to... Yeah, it launched in the U.S. in late 85. Um, so by the time that I was able to understand what the fuck a video game was, I was, I was again, five years old. I remember being specifically five because I was still in kindergarten. And uh, I had seen ads for it on TV, and I really wanted to play it. I was, like, I was like, we have to get one. Like, this looks so much, like, so much fun. And I remember saying it to my dad a thousand fucking times and my mom a thousand times. And they were like, well, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. Uh, Christmas. This is Christmas Eve. Um, my mom puts me and my brothers down to bed. 
And uh, my dad, what he would do when we were kids is he'd go out outside and he'd throw a bunch of chains on the roof. <laughs> and my mom, would, my mom would, my mom ran into the room and he, and she goes, uh, guys, did you hear that? I think Santa just came. And so we're like, what? Uh, <laughs> what are we doing in bed? Like we fucking freak out. So we all get up and we run out into the living room and there's a you know, bunch of presents under the tree that weren't there fucking, you know, before we went to bed. And, uh, uh, mom goes, let's go outside and see if we can find Santa. And I open the front door and sitting on the front doorstep is an NES. Oh, wow. Wow. That's cool. I, I about lost my little kid mind. Like I was, I was so <laughs> fucking happy. The only downside is my mom goes, well, we can't hook it up until the morning. <laughs> I'm like, how am I going to bed? Like, how am I going <laughs> to sleep now? Um, but she, uh, but I was, I was stoked. So the first thing in the morning did not give a shit about the presents. The first thing in the morning, uh, I was like, can we, can we play this? Like, can we, can we hook this up? And I remember sitting with my dad, like he's sitting behind me, I'm sitting in his lap and we're both trying to figure out how to play Mario. Um, but it was also the, it was also the, uh, the Nintendo that had the duck hunt with the zapper. Mm -hmm. So we ended up playing that too. And that was a lot of fun. And then, okay. I, uh, growing up, um, to to rent games, I had to get a hundred percent on my spelling test, and um, I worked unbelievably hard to make sure I got one hundred percent on my spelling test every week. I bet you did. <laughs> Which might be why I'm I'm a good speller now, and like I I, I can write well enough. But um, I'm out of practice. I haven't written in a hot minute, but. Uh, but yeah, like uh, I remember, uh, my, I still remember the commercial for Mario Three. I remember playing Mario Three with my sister one day, and and I walk into the kitchen while she's making us lunch, and she's like, "What world are we on?" And I went, "World Three." Again, I'm a kid, and she goes, "Wait, can you can roll your tongue?" Like that memory <laughs> sticks out in my brain hardcore. I don't know why exactly, but <laughs> uh, I remember like. My mom, like, I got to the final fucking castle in Mario Three. I was, I was about, to, I was like, I got to Bowser, but I died, and I had to go through the castle again. And my mom goes, "Greg, I need you to put the controller down and go outside for a few minutes." And I was like, "Why?" And she goes, "Because you're literally holding your breath while trying to play this game. Like, <laughs> you're going to pass out." <laughs> and uh, I still do that to this day. By the way, <laughs> I still hold my breath while playing a game. Um, I'm a little bit better about it, obviously, but. Because I do just... that too. Don't worry. <laughs> it's like I play Skyrim and my character is standing on the side of a cliff and I, I get like, you know, vertigo from my character standing on the side of a cliff. So <laughs> do you ever go intentionally up to a very, very high space and just jump off to feel your, that feeling in your stomach to make it feel like it's jumping out of your chest? No, oh, I, don't I, do like that. I don't like it. It makes me I very nervous. It makes Misty nervous, and I'll do it when I'm playing something, and then I'll just jump off just because. And she's like, ah, she'll yell. It's funny. Yeah, that's a that's an experience that I can't. It, it's so hard for me to deal with. I don't know why. I guess I just have too much emotional empathy with the character I'm playing. There's There's some connect there that, you know, again, to me, it's like I'm standing on the edge of a cliff, and I can feel that 
drop in my stomach and I'm like, oh no, I don't like this. Same thing watching videos on YouTube of people like, you know, those those guys who do parkour. Oh my god, on the side of roofs and buildings and shit. Yeah, and canyons and stuff. I'm just Whoa. like, yo. Nope. <laughs> yeah, it whew. Well, what about thinking about it? No. <laughs> what's your first experience, Betty? Um, my first memory of playing a video game was at a local diner. They had a um, stand-up game, and one of the waitresses brought me a stool because I was very small. I was like four, and it was an Atari, and it was that jungle game where you swung on vines. Pitfall. Oh, Pitfall. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's my first memory of playing a video game. I'm standing on a stool in a very small Waffle House-like diner in Bristol and playing Pitfall. <laughs> and then, so, is that diner still in business today, or uh, they that diner still exists, but it's not the same business. Oh, it's okay. off of Exit Three. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I was real little. And then when I was six, I moved in with my dad. He'd come back from Okinawa and his wife. And um, she's not from Okinawa. <laughs> I just want to clarify that. <laughs> um, and uh, he was young when he had me. So, of course, he played video games. And uh, he got a Nintendo when they first came out. And one of my fondest memories of growing up with my dad is playing video games with him. Stupid ass video games sometimes, but some fun ones too. Yeah. I, that's something that I'll, I'll always like treasure in my mind is like sitting with my sister and playing, you know, Tetris all day or uh, even though it's kind of a shitty memory, it's still a memory that I love. And that's Chippendale rescue Rangers on the Nintendo uh, my little brother getting scared by a mechanical bulldog in the first level and yanking the entire Nintendo off the TV and killing it. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. How mad were you? Oh, was I was it, pissed. Was, was it Jeff? 100% Jeff. <laughs> Jeff has oh, been responsible man. for most of the con console breaks in my house. Um, so the Nintendo was him. And then the Super Nintendo was also him because I was beating the living shit out of him in Street Fighter. Um, Street Fighter 2 specifically. I used to do this thing with Chun-Li where I would jump off the wall and then do like the heel kick off of someone's head, to which then she jumps off of that and I would just keep jumping off the wall, heel kick, jump off the wall, heel kick. And they couldn't yep. defend against it. My brother, like Josh or Jeff. And uh, Jeff like literally hammer fist the entire console breaking it. Um, Jeff has issues. He does. He's, very, had, he's got had. mostly over them, but um, but uh, and then the uh, the PlayStation was ruined by him by accidentally knocking over soda onto it, uh, to which we had to get like a new PlayStation after that. And then uh, we ended up getting. I'm trying to remember what next console we got. I think it was a GameCube after that because we didn't have a. Uh, I wanted a Nintendo 64 really bad, and I remember telling my dad, "Hey, I want it. I want it in 64 because." I want to play the new Mario game. And he was like, well, we'll work on it. And for Christmas, he gets us a refurbished PS one. So I was a little disappointed. Not going to lie. 
but I ended up loving the PS1. There was a lot of great games on it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was... Uh, I want to say maybe we had a PS2 before GameCube. And I remember the PS2 lasted a really long time. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, my brother Josh still has it. But the wow. GameCube the GameCube was ruined by Jeff because he was playing a... Uh, uh, a, a drift, a race, a drifting game, like a racer drifting game, and he fucked up and straight like kicked the console hard enough to break it. Uh, never replaced it, but he definitely broke it. But yeah, he's like we always made a joke of like, "Where's Jeff?" Well, if we hear him scream in five seconds, we'll know he's upstairs playing Tony Hawk. Uh. But a lot of my big memories, Betty, like I've explained this to Maya a bunch of times, like a lot of my my major memories of life spawn or, or evolve around a video game. Uh, I remember having parties in this house where we would all get together and play the like UFC and have like a little tournament. Um, or we would... Uh, <sighs> There were a bunch of little things that we would do around the house that were a lot of fun in regards to uh, video games. I remember, like, I remember the exact fucking levels from shooters like Halo or, or Call of Duty because we played them so fucking much. Um, I had a friend over every single night, my buddy Jason, and we would just play fucking Smash Brothers until the sun came up. Um with my buddy Jason, we used to do this fun little thing where we would have a bad game and pizza night where we would get this massive, massive ass pizza from a place called uh, fat ducks. Uh, like I'm, t- I'm talking, it was like a three by a three foot by three foot square pizza. Wow. Jeez, that's the size was, of my coffee table. It's it will. It took up the size of a coffee table. Like it was enormous and they still sell it to this day. But, um, we would do that. We'd get a bunch of soda, and then we would go to uh, Hollywood Video at the time, not blo- not Blockbuster, and uh, rent the worst game that we could find. And at the time, the worst quote unquote worst games were like the beat 'em ups based on some fucking kid show. Um, and uh, we would just sit. We would just play it all night until we beat it. Like I remember doing that all the time. So I just, I, uh, video games have been an integral part of my life. Um, I would actually say the same for me. I have a lot of memories of my life that center around video games. And, you know, because of the age we are, they've changed so much since mm -hmm. the first memory. And, you know, a lot of those changes come into play with my own memories and, you know, growing up, you know, as I evolved, the games evolved and the systems evolved. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, it's, it's something I care very deeply about. Uh, I say the same thing, honestly. And again, we have different connections to it, but it, you'd be surprised how many things that, you know, stick very heavily in my mind when it comes to certain video games and points in my life. And it's really stupid. Well, and some of them, it's like, wow, 
why is this association there? <laughs> well, not at all, because the three of us wouldn't be sitting here right now if it weren't for Jackbox. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Like, I wouldn't know Maya if it weren't for streaming Jackbox on Twitch. Well, you probably would have, but the podcast didn't come about until that. But, you know, I started well, watching Half Empty right before the Mega Manathon um, for your first trip to North Carolina. And that's, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, that's that's another thing right there is like, if it weren't for video games in general, you know, I would never have, I don't think I would, I would have had the experiences that I had, you know, four five years ago. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's like, do you it's, guys remember the, there was, um, I was 11 when this memory is for me. I don't remember when the thing itself came out. Y'all probably do. The pad that you would walk on for the Nintendo. Oh, the power pad. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. People think it came out in 87 or 88. Okay. I think it was 87. And I think it was 1990 that this memory sticks for me because we had just moved to South Carolina. Um, we lived in a trailer park out in the middle of freaking nowhere. And each trailer had like a half acre of land. So... If you wanted to go to a neighbor's house or see somebody who didn't live in your own house, you had to walk, you know, a fair distance. And we had this family that lived at one end and they had a couple of boys and a daughter. And I remember going to their house and they had the the pad and I just I was blown away. And it was yeah. fun, you know, and I, that was Nintendo my first was there. So it sticks very readily in my mind yeah i can't tell you those kids names but i can tell you what their house looked like (laughs) one of the they had the power pad yep (laughs) and the pool one of the fun things for me betty is that uh um gaming has gotten to a certain point over time that uh uh for example like you were talking about going over to their house and seeing the power pad and all that stuff um i have very fond memories of early like ps1 and nintendo 64 games those games do not hold up um a lot of issues with controls a lot of issues with graphics and a lot of that was because of the limitations of the time for example uh the very first resident evil not only is the is the uh voice acting just atrocious but i mean it's endearing because it's so bad but um, the visual styles of it are really bad, but the main reason that that game just doesn't hold up and nine times out of 10 people that argue it are in it for just nostalgic reasons is, uh, because of the controls. Um, have you ever heard of tank controls? No, I don't think so. So tank controls That's... exist primarily because there was no way to move a camera around efficiently. Um, Right now, when we play a third-person or a first-person game, we use two joysticks, right? Like when you're playing Skyrim, you use two joysticks. Yeah. Uh, that didn't exist. So the be- the only way to control the character was with the D-pad, and that only went forward, back, left, and right. How do we turn a character in a 3D space without that capability? We use the shoulder buttons to turn the character. 
So if you watch old videos of Resident Evil, you'll see the player stop, turn the character, and then start running again. That's tank controls because that's how a tank works. Like you can't just turn a tank. Like you have to stop the tank, turn it, and then go. Um, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm because I played Resident Evil when it first came out, and um, that's when I threw the controller because <laughs> <laughs> we were all upstairs in the dark playing, and it was a group of us, and I we were all taking turns. We would leave off wherever the first person died. And it was our all of our first experience with this game. So, you know, I'd already seen this part and I don't know why I did this. So, you know, going down the hallway where the crows or ravens break through the windows and the dogs come out. I threw yes. the control across the room. <laughs> screamed. <laughs> yeah, that was it was it was definitely something at the time where we didn't think of the controls being bad. We were just like, oh, this is fun. Yeah. Um and the same goes for a lot of games on the 64. Uh, one of the one of the most popular games that came out of the Nintendo 64 was the was uh, Goldeneye. Mm-hmm. Um, Perfect was, Dark. After that, holy yeah. shit! Perfect yeah. Dark was amazing. It's not amazing now. The no, it is are not. Fucking terrible. So the way the controls worked without the dual joystick situation was if you pressed up or back, you would move forward or back. But the only way to turn was to hit left and right. So what you would do is to move around. You would you would move up, stop, tur- like hit the joypad or the the stick to the left or right to turn and then move again. Very tank control ish, or like it was this like three point turn situation, like with a car. That's how you would turn. Uh, I remember playing the living shit out of that game. Like every day with friends that would come over, they had a 64, like we play it all the time. And then there was a situation with my buddy, Andy, who we went over to his house and he was like, man, I'm going to pull out my 64 and we're going to play that. And we're going to have a great old time. (laughs) All of us were just like, this is unplayable. All of us were like, this is so hard to fucking control. It wasn't even funny fun because it was so bad. Then, yeah. we played, then we went and played a wrestling game on the 64, which still held up. Like, it was still fun. But um, uh, but a lot of games are, are, are like that. Like, uh, um, did you ever play the, the Twisted Metal franchise? I don't think so. I mainly played, um, again, with Nintendo, it was Mario. And when I was younger, uh, a bunch of, like, these little games that they had back then. Like, where, you know, you throw some flower pots onto spiders trying to climb up a wall. Um, as a teenager, I played a lot of the um, NES Star Wars to be actually. To be funny. <laughs> that is funny. Now that I think about it, I, I played the shit out of that game. And it's pretty great. in my early twenties, um, I started playing golf, hot shots, golf on the PS. Oh, hot shots golf was fucking great. It was, and that's where I learned my love of golf. <laughs> There's actually a game on the PS4 right now um, called Everybody's Golf or Everyone's Golf that plays exactly like that game. Yeah, I that that game sold me on golf. I actually watch golf because of that game. I enjoy it. I know how it's played, you know. Oh, nine times and out of ten, if there's a good sports game, I'll end up enjoying the sport after playing the game. Oh, yeah, and I'm really good at it. You know, I mean, I kick ass at golf. I used to play Tiger Woods golf 
and um, on PlayStation 2, and I would play in online tournaments. And I kicked ass. I was really proud of myself. Yeah. And now, yep. looking at it, I'm like, that's not a playable game. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I, I, I feel like... Uh, uh, that that golf game would still work today just because it doesn't require a lot of stuff. I mean, it looks like shit because it's PS1. Yeah. Um, and that's another argument I have about like early consoles too, is that PS1 and Nintendo 64 just have shitty graphics. Uh, a lot of people constantly argue like, oh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time is, is a great game. It's the best Zelda game. And I'm like, but it doesn't yeah. age well. It did not age well. Like the 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 visuals look muddy. The um, everything's polygonal, and I just it just looks bad. Um, that's why you're also seeing a lot of remakes from the PS1 and Nintendo 64 era. Um, Tomb Raider. I played a lot of Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider was also a sh- like unplayable now. Like yeah, the early games are unplayable. Back then, it was amazing. <laughs> right. Yeah, oh no, we we played the like we didn't play the main game because we got we were kids and got confused as to what we were supposed to do, but um we ended up uh just fucking running around in her mansion. Oh well we played the actual game. I was a teenager. And <laughs> yeah, I loved the shit out of that game. <laughs> was that, I mean it was like for me it was the first real female character in a game like that. Right. So it stood out to me. Yeah, she had big titties, but I didn't care. She was Laura fucking Croft, you know? Did you ever hear, did you ever hear how she got her big tits? Yeah, it was a mistake. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I've seen it, and I thought that was hilarious. It's you know, because really funny, I, yeah. When I was in my early 20s, I drew, like, fan art of Laura Croft and stuff before the movies came out. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was, for me, as as a female, I thought... That was revolutionary for me to see. I would someone. argue. I would argue you might really enjoy the new ones made by uh, uh, Square Enix. Um, oh yeah, I've played some of the newer ones. Okay. Yeah. No, I fucking do. I love those. Those are great games. Yeah, they're still great. You know, the franchise itself is. You know, they've made some blunders here and there, but overall, still a good franchise. I would like to know why every single fucking treasure hunter has to deal with something supernatural eventually. Mm-hmm. Because you're hunting treasure. Yeah, but you think there'd be one story about a treasure hunter that just like fighting a group of guys that are trying to kill you, and that's it. But like every single one of them ends as like something supernatural, and it always makes me. It's always like it's fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. This isn't like an actual criticism. It's more of like a observation. Like I played through all of the Uncharted's recently here, and every single one of them deals with something that supernatural at the end. Almost exactly like Indiana Jones, almost exactly like Alan Quartermain. And, and Tomb Raider is no fucking exception. Uh, it's trope, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's funny. I just think it's really funny how there's no treasure hunter story that doesn't end that <laughs> end with something supernatural. Yeah. I mean Yeah. Even <laughs> if you think about it, even in like treasure hunting space sci-fi stuff. There's yeah. usually some weird shit going on that you don't expect to happen, even yeah. with interplanetary travel. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I get why. Like, it's fun. It adds it adds an extra level level to the to the plot. An Did extra... you guys ever watch um, Dark Matter? Uh. Uh-uh. That was a good I show. I can't. I can't say that I did. It was. Um, 
it was sci-fi, took place on a ship. These people all woke up, had no memories, and they didn't know who they were. And they had to end up working together and finding out what happened to them. And it was really good. There was only like three seasons, though. I think it's on Netflix. Uh, speaking of Netflix, I was going to ask you guys, um, are you interested in that miniseries, The, the Queen's Gambit? Actually, yes. I was put that in my watch list this weekend. I was going to see if you guys wanted to watch that for next episode. Sure. All right. Cool. Works for me. And well, of course, with the next episode of The Mandalorian as well. Of course. Of course. Oh, yeah. Um, well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. I got to get ready to get going with what I got doing today. Uh, go ahead. What do you say? Oh, no. I was going to say, yeah, I've got a busy, busy day, too. Well, uh, let me go ahead and read my, my outro here because now I have it written down and I'm not going to sound like a fumbling idiot. Uh, I think that's going to do it. Yeah, you're a, just going to sound like an idiot. <laughs> I literally started the first sentence of what I have written down and stuttered it. Like, Jesus Christ. That's well, I fault. think that's what's good. I, you know what? <laughs> I think that's going to do it for us today, guys. Uh, make sure you follow all the socials, uh, which are listed below, including our, our new Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash all cute, uh, all underscore cute underscore up. Um, We'll have it linked on again all the socials and and uh, when we go live, we'll have it linked out on our personal socials, which we'll get to in a second here, and the all queued up socials. Um, but Maya, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook under my name Maya Dawn Fisher. Uh, it's a public profile, so if you want to choose to follow me on Instagram or Twitter, you can do so. They're linked there. Uh, if you want to listen to more of me and my awesomeness. Uh, I am on a couple of other additional podcasts aside from this one uh, on the Realm of Collectors YouTube channel. Every other Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, uh, we do a show called Figure Banging, a live action figure review show uh, episode tonight, actually, as of recording. Uh, and then, of course, every Friday night on MPSP Theater, where we talk about, you know, various things in the pop culture and entertainment world. Uh, so yeah, check those out. That's the Realm of Collectors YouTube channel. And that's everywhere where you can find me. What about you, Betty? Uh, you can find me on Facebook under Betty Badger Ultry. And you can find me on Twitter under Bright Betty. And you can find me here. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yes. All right. Um, yeah, you can find me on all socials under Trevor Geek. Uh, you can still follow my Twitch channel if you want but we're no longer going to be streaming Jackbox over there. We'll be doing it on the all queued up channel. Um, but uh, yeah, this is the only podcast I do now. So there's that uh, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you check out Mandalorian season two, episode two and the Queen's Gambit, which is a mini series on Netflix. Um, and uh, join us next week and we'll see you then. That's where you're supposed to say peace, love, and polypops. Oh, sorry, peace, love, and polypops. <laughs> oh, take I'm care, everybody. Oh, yeah, take care, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>